Hello and welcome to Raise em Left. I'm Tom McFarland and I'm here with Philip Sipe and uh, oh man, I didn't put a pun together. Yeah, uh-oh. Do we have to start over? <laughs> I know, I know, but I was, uh, no, I'm not going to start over, but I was definitely too focused on the, uh, I was definitely too focused on the uh, new news in my life to uh, actually uh, dive into a pun. But so I'm a parent now. Uh, we officially had uh our first child on the uh uh well let's see it would have been exactly two weeks well no not exactly because uh doctor's appointment didn't work that way a little over two weeks ago from today uh i'm, I'm not giving the exact date because you know just a certain amount of personal information you don't want to give out on a podcast but um yeah no we had a successful uh c-section uh, we have a very healthy baby son. Uh, uh, we had some rough, the first day was a little bit rough in the hospital. He spent a little bit of time in the NICU, but um, he's doing completely better now. He's put on uh, more, he's went past his birth weight. Uh, so he's recovered all of his you know weight from birth. And uh, yeah, he's a healthy, uh, occasionally screaming uh, little boy. And uh I'm very underslept, so this episode might be a little rough around the edges. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's all right. I know my I'm voice just... is a little rough around the edges. <laughs> You've been telling your your child every day to use their words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, when he's uh, sleeping 17 hours a day, but somehow I'm only sleeping two hours at a time. <laughs> I have a uh, really bad, bad joke if you want one. Oh, let's go for it. All right. Just just to appease the like the listener who just can't have an episode of Raisin Left without uh, uh, a dad joke in it. Um, how would Karl Marx have reacted to COVID-19? Oh, no. How? He would practice socialist dis distancing. <laughs> That's ouch. I said it was bad. So. I'm going to go wildly off topic for a rapid second just because I can. And this is going to be a multi-part episode because of me giving news and then now me going off on a little tangent. But I've started watching Star Wars Andor and I have been extremely... First of all, I was bored with it, but it's picked up and I've gotten some sleep and rewatched bits of it and now I'm more interested in it. But I've been extremely surprised to find there to be something added into Star Wars Andor. It, sorry. Do you mind if I spoil a tiny thing for Star Wars? No, Andor? no, I'm not a Star Wars super fan, so. Okay, well, spoilers ahead for everyone else. A minor spoiler. Um, a thing that has existed, I mean, look, so I've always loved Star Wars for the Rebellion. A thing that hasn't existed as a part of the Rebellion has always been any form of political ideology. It's like, you know, even though they were literally written to be the Viet Cong fighting against the American Empire, like it was directly written to be a political, like a, 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 an, anal an, an analysis of, uh, of American politics, uh, they didn't have any real political ideology to the rebellion. And boy, Andor steps right in full front uh, with a character who is writing a manifesto. He is writing like Carl, he is like little baby Karl Marx in the in the <laughs> trenches writing a manifesto spouting off like very like specific leftist theory to all of his comrades to every side um it's very fascinating and i like it i'm i'm here for it i'm surprised by it 
I'll have to, I may have checked that out just for the, for the memes or whatever, but um, that's uh, surprising. Star Wars is, especially given the way that the Star Wars community has reacted to some of the changes in the latest movies, um, putting, making a big character leftist seems. <laughs> uh, I'll say, <laughs> and from a capitalist perspective, it seems awful risky. Uh <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you know, and this is a whole other episode of a whole other podcast, but there's a whole criticism to be made about how Star Wars accidentally created a massive fandom of active fascists who put, like, stormtrooper stickers on their cars because they actively are glorifying and just love the shit out of the Empire and would just give their left testicle to be a stormtrooper. Yeah, that's that. That very much reminds me of that one script, or it's like the guys like who are like Nazis or whatever, and they're like, "Are we the bad guys?" Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like, "Well, like we we have like skulls in our uniforms. That's like a really bad sign." It's like I'm just imagining the same thing for Star Wars. Be like, our biggest flagship is called the Death Star, and it blows <laughs> up planets. That that can't be good, right? <laughs> right. And yeah, and I mean, and, you know, and the same thing can be said for like, I mean. Starship Troopers, but oh boy, I'm just getting way off topic here. Let's let's dial yeah, back yeah. down. This is what happens when I don't have sleep. Uh, the uh, probable undiagnosed ADHD takes over my brain. Um, yeah. So let's go to a very dense, um, politically, ideo- ideologically uh, uh, laced uh, script for today. I want to kind of talk about two types of parenting that I have problems with. So right, I'll right away off the get-go, let's be clear here. I'm not an advocate for latchkey parenting for sure as shit, and I'm not really an la- advocate for helicopter parenting. Um, and I will say that latchkey parenting has more here to pull from, while helicopter parenting in a lot of ways is almost kind of a... One of these things that, like, you know, media or the news kind of puts an aim to, but there's, like, it's a little... Amalgus, like it's not a real concrete thing, but we're going to dive into it anyways. Uh, And then I want to compare that to horseshoe political theory, which is, I think, is something you're probably going to have a much better understanding than me. Um, I think most people generally understand it as this concept that if you go too far left, you become like not necessarily right wing, but the idea that the extremes of both parties are the exact same thing, which is extremely flawed analysis and understanding of what's happening yeah for sure to to quickly give like a a picture on that i think where this comes from is often a perception a correct perception by the way that the extreme right and the extreme left both have a point of agreement and that is that um there is a sort of sickness at the core of of society modern society um that they agree that it's bad you know like the sort of like populist uh shared core there is like they agree that it's bad that like all this power is getting concentrated into you know uh you know barely or completely non-democratic governments and uh corporations and all this stuff um you know so so they kind of agree on some of the the like from a distance, you know, you can see how they might look very similar. You know, uh, a leftist saying it's really bad for, you know, these corporations to um, command so much power and to uh, hold so much 
sway over their workers' lives, um, all for them to barely eke out a living. And an extreme right wing person might say the same thing, but then he might, you know, the 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 where they diverge, and it's a very very important divergence, is that the right wing is going to say it's because of a particular group of people that are causing society to unnaturally go in that direction. You know, I think the classic example with the Nazis being the Jews, um, but, you know, it's not extended merely to that kind of thing. You know, you see um, sometimes it's like women are, you know, not not fulfilling their God-given purpose or, you know, you, you see the same, same kind of analysis of uh, where they talk about like the degener moral degeneration of society as opposed to a leftist who is going to be more focused on sort of like the material economic conditions of like, well, okay, so there's profit generated by workers being extracted and handed to a few people who then leverage that advantage to continue to to uh, entrench themselves and snowball into ever and ever wealthier stratification. And, you know, anyway, uh, point being like, I think people who don't have like a clear picture of the analysis of uh, of of exactly what analysis the left wing and the right wing is making on the extremes um, have this sense because they're looking at them often from a distance from the middle and going, oh, these both sound about the same. They're all talking about how society's broken in some way and that's bad and we have to have a, a big overhaul. And that's really extreme, you know? And so like uh, then, you know, you then you get this horseshoe shape of like, hey, here's the middle and, you know, there's there's distance uh, going left and right, but the further you go, the closer they come back around to make this horseshoe shape where they're actually really close to each other all of a sudden. Um, but uh, that that really only works when you view it from a neoliberal perspective. Yeah, and I agree. And I think, you know, and one of the elements here that I would argue with is that where a horseshoe does exist isn't in that place. Yeah, like when you look at that, if you look at the actual two farther ends of like what, what you would almost argue is revolutionary political thought versus reactionary political thought, right? So revolutionary being we need to change our systems and uh, hegemonies and structures and change the system of authority and deconstruct authority. And then reactionary being no, 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 no. The system isn't the problem. It's individuals are the problem. Most specifically, it's those individuals ex-individuals, whether they be trans people, Jewish people, uh, Arabic people, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. Where a horseshoe does exist <laughs> is more in the center, where you're operating within the same system of authority, the same structure, the same hegemony. You have, I would argue that the neoliberal uh, side of politics and the traditionalist conservative side of politics actually almost form a horseshoe because they're, you know, arguing for their own self-interest in the same kind of a system. Uh, and that's where I'm going at with this is, oh, I'm wanting to say that latchkey parenting is more of a uh, libertarian conservative style of parenting. And I'm making that as an, as an analogy to that. We'll get to that in a moment. And then helicopter parenting being in many ways a more analogous uh, to um neoliberal politics interesting so and i might be way off base and feel a hundred percent free to be like tommy you don't understand neoliberal politics um <laughs> because me being wrong is very educational for me and for other people sure um, I, I mean i'll say on the surface it's not a 
analysis that I've heard before. Um, I kind of see like like in the same way that like I kind of see you know like where people get the horseshoe theory from. I kind of see where you're going with this, uh, but you know I want to look at it closer so that we can you know see how how well it stands up to scrutiny or whatever. Yeah. So right off the get go, let's go ahead and just jump into some definitions and discussing these two styles of parenting. So the first one, latchkey parenting. So the meaning of latchkey parenting is a child uh, it comes from this concept of a child who needs to carry keys to their home or to their home with them to school because both parents will be working when they return home. Uh, it's kind of a, collo a colloquial phrase. So, uh, you know, children who have to spend a significant amount of time unsupervised uh, at home. Uh, the origin of this term is actually pretty old. Uh, we first see it in the 1942 radio program, uh, Discussion Club Topic, How War Affects Canadian Children. And so in this, they're talking about how, like, all of the dads are off fighting war and mothers are all working in the factories. And so nobody's taking care of kids. Kids are just, you know, they go to school, they come home from school, and then they're just home uh, and they're taking care of themselves or their siblings. Uh, uh, this kind of inter-parenting relationship happening between kids. Um, now, at this time, it's seen as like, a, oh, no, this is something we need to be worried about. Later on, we see it develop into something else. Uh, so this becomes really more mainstream in the 1970s and 1980s, where we see Generation X being raised by boomers. Uh, so there's... Uh, and there's... Again, this is happening through something that, like, you know, we talk about it in the other episode. We're talking about parental leave. Really, in the 1970s and 1980s, we're seeing uh, this shift where women are entering the workforce. And I want to be very clear before we go, I go any further with this. It is a good thing for women to have the freedom to do whatever the fuck they want to do with their life they want to do with. In the same way that it is good for everyone, non-binary, male whomever the fuck you are you should be able to do whatever you want with your life yeah what you what gender you are should not uh inform what role you play in society yes um but it is an element though that we do have to to analyze that in the 1970s when women gained a lot of this freedom the f system of capitalism did unlocked ways to exploit that um, and, oh, wait, we just unlocked 50% of the workforce. Uh, let's put them all to work. And this left a bunch of kids being unparented. Now, and again, this is an argument that this is where we fall into some possible horseshoeness on that far, you know, like, you know, people in the middle will say, well, you're making the same argument that far-right conservatives are. No, far-right conservatives will put point at this and say, see, women should have stayed at home um, as this power... Uh, thing power element of patriarchy over women i'm saying this as a this was a necessary good thing that had to happen and then capitalism exploited it and this is what happened but anyways before i dive like, <laughs> tangle myself up too far into that uh that that's what happened in the 1970s 1980s we start seeing both parents going to work uh, we start seeing household incomes not actually really changing so in other words what's happening over time is that you know we're not doubling household incomes and everybody's doing amazingly well and wonderfully. Uh, everybody's still having to work and this is a whole other economic discussion about how this changed the American workforce. But this means that all these kids are left at home. 
so there's some cultural perceptions that really pop up during this time as you start seeing uh, studies that are like looking at this uh, this phenomenon and you, uh, so it's like a social cultural thing that I grew up around a lot, right? Um, of Gen Xers discussing how being in this situation caused them to um, be better at a bunch of things that they were more um, you know so you have all of these perceived positive effects uh, that they have a greater development of dependence reliability self-sufficiency you know all of these oh it just made me such I had to be an adult much younger and that's why I'm like a more functional adult today and that doesn't really play out what we actually see in studies. We see a number of measured negative effects. We see increased rates of loneliness, boredom, fear, increased susceptibility to peer pressure. Um, because, you know, with peer pressure, we're talking about kids raising kids, uh, a lot of babysitter culture, uh, where it's teenage babysitters looking over younger kids. You're just putting kids in a room together completely unsupervised over and over and over and over and over. You're going to get peer pressure. You're going to get older kids who are into things that maybe they shouldn't be into getting other kids into the same things as them, right? Um, uh, we see through that, we also see increased rates of sexual abuse and predation that start popping up during the same kind of culture of latchkey parenting. Uh, uh, it's referred, uh, it's, this is refuted in some literature, it kind of compares this, um, in a lot of literature, it, you, you run into this, like, I don't know, it's a paradigm where it's trying to compare, well, they're not spending time with their parents who might have been abusing them. Instead, they're spending time with babysitters and caregivers, and that's good. But also you see other literature saying, yes, but then they're spending time with babysitters and caregivers who are abusing them. Um, in either case, what's happening is, you know, kids are not being supervised by adults as much of the time as they otherwise would have been, and this creates an environment where this kind of stuff is more possible. Uh, you see increased rates of behavioral outbursts, increased rates of diagnosed anxiety, depression, uh, decreased rates of academic performance. It's just all across the board. You see a lot of uh, really not great stuff kind of happening, right? And um, we see some studies that show that the likelihood of growing up as a latchkey kid increases with socioeconomic status. So again, this is something also that is playing out among more working class uh, and poor folks. Um, uh, upper middle class homes are more likely to... I'm sorry, stop. I'm... Editing note. Left a big gap there because I have to edit this. Yeah. I had that backwards. <laughs> so despite some cultural perceptions that exist around this, all of this, right? Uh, we often kind of think that, you know, poor and working class folks uh, are more involved in this latchkey culture than richer or wealthy folks uh, who have these like super healthy nuclear families. Um, but actually what we see in studies uh, is that uh, uh, latchkey kid, like cases of, latchkey kids increases with socioeconomic status. Middle and upper class uh, homes are more likely to involve uh, latchkey parenting than poor and working class homes. So there's arguments here that uh, part of this is because of uh, differential application of law enforcement. So poor and working class parents are more likely to be charged with and convicted of child abuse and abandonment. We've like, I've seen this in local communities that I've lived in where, um, you know, 
parents would send their like, like kids would you know you hear boomers and gen xers talk about well back when i was a kid you know we would just roam the streets and then we didn't have to come home until the street lights came on and then that was when our parents expected us home well what you actually see is in poor and working class communities parents who have done that have been tried and convicted of child abuse and of abandonment for doing exactly that for having their kids quote roaming the streets so yeah that just ends up not actually oh. being i'm sorry go ahead yeah i was just gonna say a lot of this discourse you know reminds me a lot of the the discourse around spanking right you have a lot of people who are like well you know like i deserved it or you know like i really was a bad kid and needed you know discipline and i turned out okay and like you know if no one had taught me what was right and wrong you know all this kind of stuff pointing to it and it's often like i'm seeing a lot of the same move here that's done in spanking which is like spanking uh, also is the thing that individuals especially those that experience it report uh perceived positive effects from it but most of the studying that's done measuring shit and actually doing science around it shows largely negative effects which is that um often it is set up against a straw man of an opposing uh, possibility, right? It's um, spanking versus no discipline at all, right? That's like the thing that is being done there. That's kind of hard to see um, if you're not paying attention or you haven't gone over this a bunch of times, right? Um, it's like, oh, well, you know, like I needed someone to tell me right from wrong. It's like, well, there are ways to do that that don't involve hitting your children. <laughs> um, and I'm seeing a lot of this here and like, you know, people are like, you know, it gave me a greater uh, development of um, self, you know, like independence or whatever, self-reliability. It's like, okay, well, you can get independence and self-reliability from a variety of techniques that do not have to be um, ones that have all the risks that you've already mentioned, you know? A hundred percent. And it, yeah, that that's this whole kind of a layout. It's bad things happen to you. And it's really hard to... It's a hard thing to process the idea that your parents did something wrong um, and you know, that your parents made mistakes or were actively um, uh, malintent mal in some of the things that they may have done, or even if they weren't malintent, just that they made mistakes. That's a hard thing to process and live with. So we often try to rewrite those stories and, well, I, it happened to me and I was I turned out fine. Um, and, and that is an element of all of these kind of problems in every end of parenting. This is one of these things that you run into uh, that causes some of these cycles. It, you know, that, that I, I'm saying this from a personal perspective, things that I've, you know, ran into other parents from communities that I've lived in who will discuss horrible, horrible, atrocious shit that happened to them as a kid. But they'll be like, oh, but I turned out fine, you know, like it couldn't have been a bad thing because if that was a bad thing, that means my parents were bad people and I need to continue my like adult relationship with my parents so I can't perceive them in that way. And, you know, that that kind of creates these barriers to look at some of this stuff. I assure you, if, if you're having thoughts like that, just out of curiosity, like, um, you know, anyone who's listening, like you can like that. That's a that's a that's a trick that the mind plays on us because it doesn't want to deal with something like it is possible to maintain a relationship with someone who did something bad to you. Uh, in fact, often it's necessary. Um, and you don't need to only have relationship with angels, you know, like 
I my parents spanked me, for example. Like I don't hate them for that. I think it was very much the norm of the time. That doesn't mean that it was good or that um, they should have done it or whatever. But like, I'm not like gonna end my relationship with my mom just because like I personally would consider that abusive behavior, uh, or you know, or my dad because like it's not. Like, I know it wasn't, first of all, coming from an abusive place. And I know also that, like, um, that wasn't as settled back then as it is now. And, like, uh, you know, people are often a product of their environments. And uh, I don't want to use that as an excuse for negative behavior. But at the same time, like, um, I think if we get into the habit of ending any relationship that has... Um, that involves people that have made mistakes. Uh, we're going to be isolated very quickly. I yeah no I agree. Um, you know yeah yeah especially in in yeah in this kind of a realm. Um, and and so and and an element to talk about with this too is and this is something that wraps around a lot of different things in parenting is. Uh, it's important to talk about, like, it's not just the socioeconomic status of a family that creates these situate these environmental situations. Also, sometimes it's the inverse of that, right? So one of the things we see is a significant number of poor and working class homes that are poor and working class explicitly because they choose to not be a home with two working parents in it. The, the home I came from was one of these. Um, we were working class. Uh, my dad, when I was very little, worked in a factory, and then the factory closed down, moved to uh, moved uh, overseas, and then he bounced through a number of small jobs. Uh, you know, washing dishes and and, and things like that. Ended up, uh, you know, uh, working as a cook for a while, and. My mom didn't work at that time because they very explicitly wanted to have at least one parent at home. They didn't want to have other people raise their kids. They made an explicit, and this is not a thing to call a choice. It isn't necessarily that they made a choice because is it really a choice to say, uh, do I want to have my labor exploited by capitalism um, and have someone else raise my kids or do I want to raise my own children? I don't think that's a fair choice to say that a person has. Right. But there is an element of like some people do make the choice of, look, we both have professional careers. Neither of us are willing to sacrifice that or uh, do, you know, or, or you know, adjust that. Um, and we want to have other, you know, go ahead and bring other people into the household to raise our kids. I'm not saying that's well, necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's situational. Everybody's life is a whole different thing, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, this is like, not to get too far ahead of the topic here, but like, a lot of times with these sorts of discussions, I find myself feeling like, you know, there's a framing here, that's largely invisible, uh, which is that like, people exist in these little family homes, family units. And like, this is the state of things the way that it's, you know, like meant to be. And deviations from that are bad. But to me, that's like a little bit of a framing that comes from that like right wing, like, like almost extreme right wing modeling of society. Like there's a way that like God or nature or whatever intends for people to interact and to be and exist. An arrangement that, by the way, is extremely recent in, in terms of historical arrangements of family events and stuff like that. 
and then uh, extrapolates from that a bunch of stuff. But to me, like, there's a lot of sense of, of the way that this, the way that that things can be arranged, right, are are far more broad than you know, like the sort of atomic family unit. And often the atomic family unit is very ill-equipped to handle uh, particular scenarios. Like we often talk about the bravery and strength of people that deal with like, you know, people who are on the more uh, hard to deal with end of the autistic spectrum, children in particular. Uh, and that doesn't always turn out very well <laughs> um, because it turns out raising children is stressful, raising like neurotypical children is stressful. and uh, raising people that have that present greater challenges as children um, to the parents uh, in a society that already barely equips, if you could even argue that it equips at all, parents for raising children to begin with, significantly even less like children with particular challenges. Uh, and they then have to bear all of that stress, possibly not with no exit in sight. It like, it, depending on the severity of various medical conditions, you know, and whatnot, like it could be, you could go, you could be looking at a, you know, prospectuses for the rest of your life, uh, you know, having to care for this person. That's not okay to me. Like there's no other, but there's no societal arrangement for it. It's just dumped on you. Cause it's like, it's your kid deal with it. And like, there needs to be larger structures that provide the kind of support that people need in that. Like we need to be able to take that in the same way that we argue about socialized healthcare, where it's like, sometimes there's the one person that gets like 10 medical things that happen to them all at once. And it's really unfair. And they rack up like $10 million of debt. And that's not fun. That's like not fair. And we can distribute out that risk by pooling that we could do the same thing with the way that we arrange our social arrangements. That's an economic arrangement than the medicine one, but we can do the same thing with social arrangements. We can, have groups that you know you know help and alleviate the burden and and help raise things and there's all kinds of very interesting things that i won't get into at the moment of 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 arranging that but you know the whole it takes a village to raise a child thing um is kind of like a um we use it now as almost a meme around like when anyone does any form of parenting on a child that isn't their parent you know uh, as a sort of like way of like giving ourselves permission to not feel guilty about that. <laughs> but like, it really, it really does. Like it really should take a village to raise a child. There really should be a village that adopts the responsibility of raising all the children in it and not merely um, uh, sort of dumping that responsibility onto the two individuals who happen to be their biological progenitors. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree. And I, I think that's definitely something I want to do a whole another episode on that I think very directly ties to almost parental leave and, you know, some of that stuff we were talking about, because it's like, all of that takes place, all of this, like, oh, you're expected to take care of this kid all on your own. This is your problem now, only you, nobody else is allowed to touch this problem. Also, show up for work tomorrow at 8am, and you're going to be there until 8pm. And uh, you better be willing to do some work while you're at home as well. Like it, it, it's this so you impossible. don't want to be a not a, not be a team player. <laughs> and then, huh? Why is our why is our country's birth rate going down? Yeah. You know, but again, like dialing this back in. So, 
all of that, we, I think we've really well described what latchkey parenting is, the negative effects it has, uh, the, but the perceived positive elements. I think people will still to this day talk about a latchkey parenting is super good because it you know teaches you all of these things because it is seen in many ways the same way as free market libertarian conservative thought. So the market performs best when it's left relatively alone. Uh, and that is, you know, you are the market. As the child, you're going to perform best if you're left alone, if you are allowed to, you know, learn self-dependency and all of this stuff. But it's also important to say that in a lot of these families, you also see a number of authoritarian stuff creep in later on, as, especially as some of these behavioral issues uh, come up and stuff. Then you're going to see a cracking of the whip down of like, okay, but no, 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 we can't do those things. We can't do this thing. Um, I'm not going to be responsive to you because I'm not home. I don't have the ability to be responsive to you, but I am going to, um, you know, punish and restrict um, I can't remember what we called that in authoritarian, authoritarian parenting, but you know, th that like those two things that seem like polar opposites working together at the same time, which you also see in conservative political ideology, conservative economic ideology. It's this idea that the free market should be left to do its own thing. Companies should be able to just do whatever the hell they want except for when we decide that they need to show their patriotism and support for America by, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, it, you know, th th that is a dichotomy that exists. Uh, and so there's these perceived positive effects to that, this idea that by doing exactly that, you're going to have this greater development of dependence, uh, greater reliability, self-sufficiency, you know, all of these, the same things that people will say is a positive from the conservative libertarian economic model, people are going to say is the positive to the latchkey parenting thing. If you leave businesses to themselves, they're going to optimize to give us all the perfect products that we want. They, like, they know what's best for us, and they're going to respond to us in the best way. These kids, they know that they really need to hold to these conservative traditional values. Um, if we just make sure that they're at home t taking care of their, you know, of their uh, siblings and, you know, having to feed themselves and uh, act as little tiny adults, they're going to latch on to those things, right? Yeah, and also, like, there's this sense of like you know the the idea that like um we can essentialize the failures in that into the individuals you know like it's uh sort of built into that is like this inherent core assumption that like if that's not working it's not because that doesn't work it's because you're not doing it right or you're you know, corrupting it in some way, or, you know, like there's this sense of which like, it's just sort of taken as an assumption that this arrangement, this structure, it functions and they sort of claim um, the stability of the, the whole society and, and ignore, you know, the failures and, and the, ways in which that doesn't always work out because they gloss over, paint over it, um, or, you know, sort of re reify the problem into the people experiencing it. Um, and there's a similarity here too, like, you know, like, oh, well, if, you know, your kid, you know, collapsed into a ball of anxiety because they were latchkey parent, it's not because like 
or because they were latchkey kid and they just couldn't handle it. It's because you didn't teach them the values of independence and whatnot. You didn't give them, you didn't do the right parenting to get them to the point where they should have been by that age to take care of themselves in that way. Or, you know, it's definitely not that doing that was wrong in the same way that at the economic level, you know, it's like, it's not that, um, you know, businesses who are polluting our rivers needed regulations to stop them from doing it. The problem was, is that all the individual consumers didn't kept buying their products after they did the bad thing. Well, clearly it's not that bad then, you know, it's like, um, or, or maybe what we need to do is teach people to stop buying products that, that are bad for the group or whatever. Um, but there's never a, a question of like, maybe there's a different way we could arrange this to get better outcomes. Exactly. I, I think you honed in exactly on what I was trying to say there. Um, and let's return to this next week. So that was Latchkey Parenting. Next week, we'll return for Helicopter Parenting, and then we'll talk a bit more about how all of this meshes together. But that's all the time we have this week. Um, thank you all. Follow us on on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're everywhere that things are streaming. We also have a Patreon that is slash red... No, no. Raise <laughs> left <laughs> slash raise them left. Raise left. Yeah. Um, thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever other time of day it is. Bye. Subscribe. Yes. <laughs>